1: Welcome to the Land of the Legacy podcast with your hosts Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Today we're going to be talking about something that's extra special to us, talking about our home base, where we're basing all of our, I guess, experiments and practices and techniques and strategies and, I guess, showing the proof in the pudding, if you will. You left out the most important part, the hunting. And the hunting, absolutely. Well, that's where the strategy went in. So, we're talking about our home base, and then when we talk about the home base, there's actually, I guess, two parts of the home base. There is the actual family farm, or I guess I'll step back and say there's three parts of the home base. There's my family farm, which has been managed for, gosh, since I was 12, we started planting the food plots and doing all kinds of different stuff. And then we have home base, which is today's topic, the Prairie Hollow property. It's actually my lease, which is right next to my family farm. And then we have the other part of the home base, which is Matt's Family Farm, which is just recently, I think your parents have owned it now for about a year. Yep, about a year. And uh, they moved out from Virginia, bought a property all the way from Virginia, and they ended up less than five miles from my family farm. So it's kind of ironic how that all ended up. But So we've got control of three different properties right there. And today uh, we're going to be talking about the Prairie Hollow property, which is, I guess, in a sense, the home base because it is strictly for... Um, improving the property for the wildlife. It's a uh, 600 acres of mostly hardwoods, about 400 some acres. Um, and then it's got some bottom fields and, and kind of one open area that's mostly a south or east facing slope that's going to be converted to native grasses, but we'll get there. So there's a lot to cover and, and we're trying to knock this all out in one podcast, but if you were to pin us in a corner we would probably tell you this is going to take two to get through cuz we're going to get all kinds of stuff going on on this one so i'll go ahead and hand it over to matt and we'll start diving in
0: yeah absolutely this is just an exciting one for us cuz again it's 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 where we're home base is you, you you can't ever get away from home too far and um it's just exciting to be able to start the work on this this piece of ground and And um, go through and explain it to everyone and hopefully get them excited as well and and share some techniques and tips that we're using that they can, as we're talking about our piece of property home base, that they can just sit back and imagine maybe it's their uncle's farm or their granddad's farm or a piece that they've recently bought um, or one that they lease and hunt. They're just picturing these same instances, same situations that they can use the practices we're describing there and implement the same things um, and hopefully see the same rewards from their work as well. So honestly, again... 600 acres, 400 acres of it is timber. And when I say timber, it is just straight timber. There's a tenth of an acre opening of an old logging deck, but the rest is timber. Um, So with 400 acres being timber, we're not going to neglect those 400 acres. We're going to actually do some timber management on that piece. Um, And Adam, when we talk about timber management, specifically for wildlife, what comes to mind for you? uh
1: mainly selective cuts or um uh, some loggers call them wildlife thinning um uh, for me if i'm managing timber for wildlife and i guess the best example or why i think of this is because this is what's native to the ozarks is this kind of post oak savanna type habitat um really open you know before Uh, explorers or settlers came in it was a very open habitat there was a lot of native grasses and forbs underneath um, timber and so that's kind of what i'm looking for knowing that it's going to be difficult because we're talking about years and years and years of timber um, taking over the area or expanding so now it's a complete closed canopy forest so when i think of I guess, timber management for wildlife, I'm thinking opening up that canopy and getting a lot of stuff growing underneath those trees.
0: And it's, it's kind of hard to imagine exactly what you're talking about because really when you look across the country, there's not very many places that you can see that and have experienced that. And, and what we're talking about is, is scattered trees, not not what you're thinking of as a forest and wooded. There's a lot of underbrush, um, a lot of forbs and grasses growing
1: there. I think a good example that people might have seen is kind of this this pine plantation type, uh, Mm -hmm. pine thinned pines where you see a lot of native grasses growing underneath. That's what's kind of native, uh, to the Ozarks. But instead of being pines, it's,
0: it's hardwoods post oak type, um, trees. So, yeah. So going back to the Prairie Hollow property, describe what it looks like right now, because that is absolutely, that's a, based on a different side of the spectrum when it comes to timber management. And its current state. And you've you've seen the property change over the years. So give a little bit of back history about um, that piece of property itself. Okay. Well, first,
1: you know, before we dive into that, I, I think a lot of people are wondering how in the world we, we talked about your family farm, my family yeah. farm, then we talked about this one, and now we're trying to figure out. So this would be, I guess, kind of some motivation for people um, to understand or to kind of take it for what it's worth. Know that the reason we're managing this property is um, – We basically just developed a great relationship with the landowner and Mm -hmm. built trust over the years. So a lot of times people, you know, I hunted public ground for years and years. And and whenever Scott, the landowner purchased this, I just started developing a friendship with him and developed, uh, the hunting rights, got hunting rights because he, I developed the trust and helped him any way I could, if he needed help on his, at his house or whatever, he's a non-resident landowner. So anytime he was up, I was there to help. And over the years, developed a uh, almost like a uncle nephew type relationship and so just recently he he said let's do it let's let's turn this into a hunting property of all hunting properties so that's where we're at hopefully people could take that and uh start working on it themselves and maybe they'll find somebody to to uh, let them manage their property or help them out along the way so anyway so this property, I've seen this property my entire life. We've hunted right next to it. And then um, we actually got to hunt it even before Scott owned it. And I've seen it go from okay hunting to almost pathetic type hunting. I was going to say, you could say terrible. Uh, yeah, terrible type hunting as far as, uh, you know, when I was a kid. And it may have been terrible even when I was a kid, but I remember seeing a lot of deer over there. And, and it seemed like everybody always talked about that property being great hunting. But as, as years went on... And I guess timber matured more and closed off more canopy, and we're and then there's almost no, in very few areas there's there's underbrush in the timber. It's mostly just leaves and leaves and leaves and leaves all stacked on top of each other. And uh, we're talking years and years and years of leaves just piling up and never being burned. Closed canopy, so there's no grasses or forbs really growing. No native vegetation to provide food. So it's it's
0: really just a so what you're banking on is a little bit of acorn production. And then and if you do, it. it's throughout the entire 400 acres. It's not like concentrated areas. It's all... Very tough, yes. You're right. So tough basically
1: hunt. there's not much food at all. And then when we have acorns, there's food everywhere for a few for a few months, and that's during hunting season. So it's very difficult. And in three years, we had one mature deer, uh, and he was about a 135-inch eight-pointer. And that was through, I mean, we're putting... 10, 10 cameras on that 400 acres and not seeing hardly anything
0: but that one mature deer. So. so, limited productivity and Very limited, limited. Um, attraction, honestly, for local deer to use it. I mean, it's a pretty big chunk of, of land, but not much using it. No, absolutely not. And you'd think 600 acres. I mean,
1: I dream about owning 600 acres of my own oh, one day. Man, and yeah. I think everybody does. And to think of just one deer being mature, mm-hmm. that's 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 brutal. It's tough. Very tough. And so the management, it was uh, non-existent. Um, And we're talking 30 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, there was a huge uh, timber harvest. And I don't know what they used, maybe even way back, maybe 40, 50 years ago. um, And they, they did a timber harvest, basically a high grade. They cut everything that had any value and left the rest.
0: And that's pretty much on the ridge tops, right? Yeah, that's all on
1: the ridge tops, and so we're talking now. We have these trees that are thirty, forty, fifty years old that are maybe seven inches in diameter at DBH, so uh,
0: diameter at breast height. So, um, and that's for multiple reasons because a lot of them are multi-stem trees. They're stump mm-hmm. sprouts from the trees that they were logged the forty, fifty years ago. So it's three trees growing, sharing the same root system. And growing very tightly together, so they're all competing for those same resources, growing very slow in the poor soil and growing slow because of the limited resources and competition for them. Exactly. And so then we talk about multiple stems. Oh, man.
1: And they're stacked in there like toothpicks, mm-hmm. and there's nothing growing underneath. And so now you throw that into 400 acres. That's all the ridge tops. So, I don't know, 50% of it is is that. Very small diameter trees stacked in next to each other.
0: We're talking small enough that you'd be afraid to hang a tree stand in because the wind, you, you'd, you'd feel like you're on a roller coaster ride. And, and I have hung
1: a stand in, in several of these, and it is very much a, a sway type. Mm-hmm. You're 10 foot off the ground. Right. Um, it, very limited. Very limited. And so, that's what the ridge tops look like. The mm-hmm. slopes aren't bad. I think it was because of the lack of equipment. Um, to get in there and take those um those valuable trees, so there is some value in the trees on the slopes and that 's a lot of i mean there 's everything from red oaks, black oaks, and then also some really nice white oaks mm-hmm. and uh so that 's kind of i guess the slopes is is has the best timber this is typical in the Ozarks the slopes have the best timber the the tops or the ridge tops are basically
0: very uh low quality timber because of past timber harvest basically and and again like you said limited ability to get into the slopes and then clear those off and in the past year so again there's timber value so as we're moving forward in addressing those 400 acres the approach to timber management considering we've got two basically a very unproductive stand of stuff versus productive quality logs logger wants to get in there what is the approach and as a as a keeping the wildlife obviously in mind what is the approach for this property for this 400 acres so basically through talking with our our logger and our and our just
1: our overall goals and objectives are i guess goals for the landowner was to make some money um yep. and and to, i guess as most landowners it's it's to find ways to make money on the property and if you own timber property it's through Basically logging. Mm-hmm. And the only way that there's really going to be any money on those ridgetops is through scrag or some people call it pulp wood. Uh, basically it's pallet wood or they grind it up and chip it and make pellets for pellet furnaces or, stones, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So basically the the timber, I guess, on those ridgetops is is going to be scrag or pulp, some people call it. And that's going to be used for pallets or railroad ties or even ground up and made into pellets for pellet furnaces or pellet stoves and uh, so there's not much value in that and so when you're trying to get a logger on these places you really got to have it worth their while and fortunately for us um, we have the good timber the valuable timber on the slopes which will bring the logger in but while he's here since he's there he might as well take the scrag timber so the plan is to do a lot of harvesting of the scrag timber a very selective cut you know that we're looking at the the triple trees, the double trees, even the quadruple trees that are all in the same root system, we're going to take a lot of those because they're not ever going to be any value other than what they are now. So we're going to go ahead and take those trees and find, the the I guess, the, the trees that have potential. The and straight trees. The straight trees that are singles, mm-hmm. that are of a species that will provide some uh, finances down, down the, the road. road. Yes. So white oaks, black oaks, red oaks, stuff like that. Now, if sassafras, anything like that, we're probably going to... Uh, we do have some areas where there are high concentrations of those type trees where we 'll thin those out to where we can get some valuable trees in there so mm-hmm. anyway that 's the plan for the ridgetops, but we 're also going to harvest doing a selective cut um, on the slopes we 're going to take a lot of those trees that are you know we 've had that wasp that is uh, uh, t- i guess affected a lot of the value of the black oaks in the area and the Ozarks and so a lot of those black oaks are now starting to die off because of that wasp and and, of course, they don't live as long as white oaks anyway. So we're going to harvest those while they're still worth something mm-hmm. rather than go ahead and say, oh, no, we want to leave those trees for whatever down the road. And we look 10 years down the road, and now they're falling down and Let's they're say, rotting. and In that there no 10 value. years, looking
0: yeah. at it, you're going to lose a lot of those trees. Yeah. Right so, now, the black oaks, obviously, because of that. Uh, exactly. Um, because the, of that wasp. So, right. Um, you know,
1: we're, we're talking about this is where I, I, I believe in. And harvesting trees when they're there to be harvested, if you they're will, prime. there's yeah. there's a lot of people that don't like to harvest those trees. They want to see them get big and old, but a lot of times you end up seeing them get hollow or Falling fall down over, them. and mm-hmm. and you don't make any value on it. And I think most landowners want to want to make some money if they can. Maybe it pays for the taxes or buys a new tractor or whatever. So right. we're going to find ways to make money, but not we're going to make money, but we're also going to benefit the wildlife,
0: and uh, that's where this selective harvesting is coming. Mm-hmm. So the selective harvest is going to be on the slopes, and and a lot of people, I guess timbering has a negative connotation. Again, this is not a clear cut. We're not going through and wiping out the entire slopes. This is a select cut. So the good trees, the younger trees that are good and straight, that have a good form canopy, we're going to be leaving those, and those are going to be seed trees. They're going to be feeding that next generation of, well, let's say, white oaks and red oaks that we're leaving. So down the road, maybe it's us if we're lucky if we live old enough or kids, and the next owner of this property is going to have trees to be able to benefit and, and hopefully they're going to carry on that same mindset of of select cutting, improving it for wildlife, but yet still making an income. and um, think of generations down the road.
1: I think, you know, when I look at this, I think how many properties do we drive by and and with our consulting business how many properties do we drive by and look at the management that they're using is no management they're they're looking at these trees and like oh they're going to get big enough to harvest one day and they're already closed canopy and they're already fighting for nutrients and sunlight and Mm -hmm. so it's like you know it may take four times as long just because of the conditions they're in so why don't we go ahead and select the trees that are already valuable um that have already reached their prime they're starting to crest over the prime and start deteriorating or go downhill, why don't we go ahead and take those, make some money and allow that younger age to really express more potential and grow faster and and, and start this whole system of managing timber
0: rather than just, okay, it'll get there one day. Letting it run its course. Yeah. Because it's very unproductive in the in the time frame that it's running because of the competition, because of how densely stacked or stems per acre there are. And again, yeah, if you go in and actually do that management it's amazing to see how quickly the forest does respond and those trees themselves grow taller, grow a better canopy, are more productive in the mass production um, each year in the root system. So there's a lot of benefit to managing it. And we haven't even talked about what comes after you do a timber management. This is just the health of the tree and health of the forest um, for current times and then years down the road. So what can we expect to come after We've done this timbering, the scrag timber and the select cut on the slopes. That's
1: my favorite part. Mm-hmm. That's the, the stuff that follows up a timber harvest. Now, here's the thing. This is the mindset that I hope uh, we can provide through Land and Legacy. Is yeah. Hopefully, we can change the mindset of people to where I think we get into this. We don't want to cut any trees. We don't want to do anything that's going to make it not as aesthetically pleasing. Okay, and so yep. we're starting to get in that park mindset where it's like, okay, I want humongous <laughs> trees. And I can see, 100 I can yards. See 150 yards yeah. through there. Sure, it looks cool, and and I'll be, I'm guilty as, as anyone is saying that's awesome to kill turkeys and hunt turkeys in timber like that. Oh yeah, but the wildlife and habitat manager side of me goes, that's not natural. That's not native. And that's not really benefiting much other than with a hunter standpoint.
0: Yeah, from a
1: a wildlife standpoint, that doesn't benefit them very much. So trying to get out of that mindset, okay, it may not be as pretty after a timber harvest because you have treetops scattered around laying on the ground. You can't see that far. But the wildlife love it. There's food. There's cover. And, you know, here in the Ozark Mountains, it seems like a lot of the big deer that get killed, of course, this is just my personal opinion, but a lot of the big deer that get killed consistently around here tend to show a pattern around areas that are very much timber. There's a lot of timber management going yes, on. absolutely. And so trying yeah. to get out of that mindset of, of just letting the timber run its course and let it become closed canopy and not throwing prescribed fire through there. and Or even if, let's step back and say, if you're doing prescribed fire in a closed canopy forest, sure, you do have some fresh growth. But nothing Nothing like what you
0: can expect if you have a little bit of an open canopy. Let's say that native vegetation, you're going to get a flush of that early on, and then you're going to have leaf out on the trees that are the closed canopy, and there goes the sunlight to feed the actual native vegetation that started growing. So you have a very short window to get production from the native vegetation growing on the forest floor because of the closed canopy.
1: And that's where you see a lot of the native vegetation. If that's our example of closed canopy, you do a a fire in January, February, Mm -hmm. March, you see native vegetation less than a foot tall Yeah, uh, because they're growing, but then all of a sudden they've just lost their Basically, their life support is just cut off. Yeah. It's done. So now we're following up. We've done a timber harvest. Now what can we expect? That's the greatest thing uh, uh, that I love about timber harvest. Absolutely. Of course, there's treetops, so they provide cover. And there's also going to be this huge flush of native vegetation and in the form of herbaceous plants and grasses. so is mm-hmm. it, it's going to provide food and cover. And it's kind of building that security around with the I guess the cover is providing the security in that in that timber. So it's just now we have food, we
0: have cover. We basically just created a food plot in the woods throughout the entire 400 acres. There's there's so much food throughout the entire growing season. Again, we don't have that closed canopy forest, so that native vegetation is growing throughout the entire year. And different species, too. Not all species are going to start here in spring. There's going to be some in June and July that start to bloom and really start to grow and pop. So throughout the entire growing season, of course, we're going to have food plots. We're going to have crops. We'll get into that later on. But we've got food in the forest itself, in the protection and that also is great nesting and fawn cover. We're, we're going to have three, four foot tall vegetation and you can grow some fawns and that stuff.
1: Absolutely. And not only that, but we'll throw in, there's going to be with that diverse habitat or that diverse flush of native. There's all kinds of insects for the turkeys oh, as well. And quail. Yep. So it, it's just, there's so much benefit to a, a selective timber harvest and well, even just an open canopy, there's so much benefit to an open mm-hmm. canopy. Mm-hmm. Even if let's just say, even if a, t- a logger came in and completely annihilated it, there's still going to be a huge flush of native. So it's not all that bad. Of course, it's ugly, but it's still not all that bad. It's
0: basically there's not as much long-term thinking and the you know the the management of it. You know, ten years down the road, because you're going to have a lot of stump sprouts and everything come back. But immediately, you're going to have a flush of of benefit in your in your plants and um, for your wildlife. So it timber harvest is definitely something we prescribe a lot and are super excited for this place because it's gonna change one the look of it, but change the attraction, the cover, the food in that area. And um, I think we need to hold on to our seat because we don't know what it's gonna do. We don't know the base the deer population. Right now again there's not that many deer per square mile, but it's gonna pull a lot of deer and attract a lot of turkeys I, I'm just excited.
1: Uh, I, I can't even put it into words how excited yeah. I am for it. Because now, you know, we talked about the timber harvest and, and using prescribed fire. So, you know, when we cut those trees, there's going to be stump sprouts. Yep. And a way to control those to keep them at bay so we don't have what happened 30 years ago is we're going to use, we're probably going to use some prescribed fire. A lot of prescribed fire, well, actually. I, I know we will. <laughs> yeah. And we're also going to use um, herbicide to keep some of those trees back. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, we're just going to keep it that early, I guess, that herbaceous type, early, early successional, successional yeah. uh, habitat. So it, it's very exciting. But the other side of that is with the logger going in there, we're going to use roads. We've are going to. we already pre-flagged the roads. So yep. we have a blank canvas, and we can design this property almost exactly like we want it, minus not being completely flat like Iowa or Kansas. <laughs> There's a lot of steep stuff to have to deal with. But as far as a blank canvas, we're going to be able to put the roads in exactly where we want them, mm-hmm. put the food plots in exactly where we want them. And even these other we'll, – we'll touch on this a little bit later, but these small clear cuts – And we're going to be able to design it exactly the way we want it to where we can enter, exit, hunt, do everything how we want to Where, So I I guess our next step is we're laying out the roads. And this is one of the biggest things that we see when we're traveling around consulting is a lot of times the roads, the central road system, of course, a, a very good road system is important to every property. You need to be able to access not only to plant food plots use fire breaks, or use the roads for fire breaks, but also for hunting purposes. But a lot of times we see the air of the roads go straight to the food plots, straight through the food plot, and on to the next food plot. And so when you start thinking about that from a hunting standpoint, if you enter and you drive through two food plots to go hunt the third food plot on the road, whenever you get done hunting in the afternoons, what happens, Matt? You're going to be driving right back through those food plots and blowing deer out. Exactly. So a little bit, you know, you do that every night for a week. The deer on those first two food plots start showing up a little later and a little later until they find the time that they can get to that food plot without being disturbed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's going to be 2 a.m. or whatever. Whenever when you're, you're not, not there. Exactly. exactly. So we're laying out these these roads, and they're going to serve two purposes. Access. Access but also fire breaks.
0: Access so, that doesn't impede the normal travel pattern of deer. Yeah. You're avoiding sanctuaries, a perimeter road. We, you talked about interior roads going to and from food plots, but perimeter roads around the entire property are, are really important too, again, for the fire breaks. But looping around to get on, you know, basically watching your wind as you're going and entering and exiting these stands, that access road around the, the edges of the property is really, really come in handy there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there are properties where you can't get around it. Your, yep. your roads go right through it, right through the food plot sites. Unfortunately, if you're going to buy a property, that's something you start thinking about mm-hmm. before you purchase it. It's like, how can I access this down the road? And, and if I see a property where there's a road system going right through the only place to plant food plots, probably going to steer clear from it. And yep. so on this property, Prairie Hall property, we're going to be able to lay out these roads – Exactly where we want it. And now we're talking about these, these food plots. So let's talk food plots. We've we've touched on the roads. That's kind of boring stuff. Let's talk food plots.
0: Real quick, another thing we hadn't talked about was the, the logging decks. I guess we'll transition right in here for That's the food plots. Right here. So the logging decks, and again, if you, if you consult with your logger ahead of time, fortunately for us, There's not that much flat ground on this piece. So logging decks are pretty much, they're going to, they got to go here. Um, But if you can, if you're able to consult with your logger ahead of time, you can strategically place and say, I'd like a logging deck here. I'd like one here. And ahead of time, you're thinking, because this is going to be a food plot, I want this property just cleared, you know, I'll I'll address it later on afterwards, after they're done moving all the logs off. And this cleared off spot is going to be a food plot. And that's kind of what we've done. Um, as we started to lay out this property, we know, again, because of the ridge tops and elevation changes, that some of these areas have to be a logging deck, and those are going to be food plots. But in addition to that, Adam, where else and how else are we laying out these food plots? So the great thing about
1: this, you know, we've talked about major elevation changes and ridge tops, but on this on this property, Prairie Hollow, Prairie Hollow property, there's there's really three. Two main ridges, and they kind of form a Y. And then there's several little elevator ridges that kind of shoot off to the east or west of those properties or of those ridges, excuse me. And so each one of those little ridges that shoots off is flat enough to where we can lay out food plots. And so now we have these points or these little elevator ridges. They're about the same elevation as the as the main ridges, but they're two, three, one of them maybe even five acres. And so we're going to be able to put the food plots off these little elevator ridges to where we'll be able to drive the main ridges as our roads. But these little elevator ridges are going to be perfect little food plots and logging decks.
0: Mm -hmm. And we don't have to drive all the way to that food plot. We can park a buggy or, or just walk in along that main trail and slip down this logging road where that logging deck was and get into the stand. Exactly. And, again, you're not driving through that food plot to get there and hunt it. You're parked way off back along the main ridge, slipping out to these little fingers and killing. Exactly. And it's dangerous. It, it is. It's <laughs> almost
1: sickening to, to think about the potential of this property and, and how we'll be able to increase the amount of food, cover, mm-hmm. water, and also the hunting strategies involved in it. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, let's let's just use that example of, You're trying to hunt the third food plot, and you drive through the first food plot and the second food plot. If we're hunting on the back side of this, on the Prairie Hollow property, let's just call it food plot number seven. Mm -hmm. We can drive through or drive by one through six, and the deer and turkeys, whatever, they're never even going to know we're going past that because there's such a barrier. There's probably 50 to 100 yards between each one of them.
0: Off our, the main road. Off
1: the main road. Yes, absolutely. So if we if we take off walk, walking, hiking up through there, or we're on a little buggy, we can just zip by, and they may hear us, but
0: they're probably not going to be able to see us,
1: and therefore they're not concerned about us.
0: Right, because remember, we've already managed for that cover, that three to four foot cover, they're not going to see us as we're moving by because of the dense native vegetation that we're promoting through the open canopy and fire. And
1: what's key to that is... Uh, is keeping track of our wind absolutely and so by designing all those roads to come in from the north coming from the east coming from the west coming from the south no matter what the wind is we
0: can maneuver around and get where we need to be that's where that perimeter road really comes in handy because again like you're you're watching that wind and looping around maybe you're coming in from the north today to hunt you the know the same food plot you hunted a couple right. days you've got ago. multiple stands and you got to come in from a different way Um, so really that road system, again, they're kind of boring to talk about, but they're so important. Um, and then putting your food plots, not necessarily along those roads, but just off. Remember, we always talk about, we always try to talk to clients about, you know, you just want to put your toes into that bedroom of where those deer are. You don't want to just full force bust in like a mean parent, bust in on a kid. You want to just sneak in, peek in, let those deer work to you and be able to get back out without really disturbing The
1: deer at all. Exactly. So I guess in summary, where we've made it so far in this podcast is we've talked about the Prairie Hall of Property, 400 acres, 400 plus acres of timber that's going to be selective cut thin. So we're going to turn that into a, basically a bedroom with food, but it's mainly food during this growing season. Can I
0: stay there? Yeah.
1: Sure. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, so we've, we're going to do the selective cut. we talked about the road system, the exterior road system, the internal road system, then we talked about our, our loading decks being converted to food plots. And yep. so 400-plus acres with a tenth of an acre of food plot currently now is going to be turned to 400 acres with all kinds of food in the form of native native herbaceous plants. Man, I'm stumbling all over get the it place out, today. And then we're going to have food plots, probably 30 acres of food plots. Yeah. And so it's just going to be
0: dynamite. So that's where we're at. Now what's our next... I think, What's our next topic? I think, and you you touched on it earlier, so there might have been a, a little bit of confusion. But you said clear cuts, and that's where that that I guess negative connotation of timbering is like clear cut. Oh my gosh, you're just coming in, just wiping everything out. But when we're talking about clear cuts, we're talking about it, it I mean, depends. The, before before you okay, go ahead. That, go
1: ahead. If we are talking about clear cut, maybe we are down south in pine country where mm-hmm. clear cuts are. Common. More common. But here in the Ozark Mountains, when we're talking about a clear cut for strategic hunting strategies. Wildlife benefit. We're going to talk about less than three acres. And the reason we say less than three acres, here in Missouri, we're going to use a government program where they will actually pay us to break up that, I guess, monotony mono- yes. of timber. Just timber, timber, that timber, That barren timber, timber. wasteland, if yes. you will. And we're going to break that up with a clear cut. And this is one to three acres. And and to really give details, through the government program we're using, we get $500 per acre up to three acres. So $1,500. Per acre in a 40-acre block. In a 40-acre block. So if we, I mean, we we could put, and we've designed it to where we have like, I don't know, four or five different clear cuts on this property. And these aren't just, okay, we need a clear cut somewhere over here. Let's put it right over here. There's nothing going on. We're strategically putting these where we want deer to bed. Yes. Knowing they're probably going to bed throughout the property because there are going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of cover. There's going to be a lot of cover. But we're going to make this to where this is the primo cover or bedding area. So these little one to three acre clear cuts are going to be in areas that we can't hunt anyway, so we're going to put them on the edges, down in the down in the hollers where the wind's going to swirl anyway. No, one.
0: deer's deer actually probably going to likely be bedding anywhere. A lot of times, I, I hear, I guess a lot of clients are saying, "Well, I don't," you know deer swirling down there they don't know where the wind's coming from that's actually where they feel safe because the wind is going to swirl they're gonna get a wind from every direction probably within 20 minutes and they're gonna be able to watch and, and be able to monitor everything
1: that is danger to the deer they're gonna be able to smell them if exactly they come in there so exactly that's why a lot of times you're really hurting yourself if you go into those haulers to hunt
0: oh yeah that's and a death so, wish
1: yeah that's just uh shooting yourself in the foot so exactly we're putting those clear cuts and all we're doing to create those and get paid for those is cutting trees there. Right. Of course, we're not cutting down a three hundred year old white oak. We wouldn't. No. We wouldn't dare do that, or even ask somebody it's to do a cardinal that. Cardinal sin. But these are like little areas, one acre, where there's not really anything that's too beneficial, and we're just trying to give some, add some diversity to the to the woods. And by doing that, we're just going to clear it out, make some bedding, let some native herbaceous plants and grasses grow, and so we have the The tree's laying there, and we also have the new growth coming up. And we're going to control that and keep it in that early successional growth through fire. But now we've got this just
0: ideal bedding area. And to, to make this bedding area or clear cut stand out from the rest of the property is that in addition to using prescribed fire, we're also treating or likely to treat most of these stumps in these clear cuts. So that way, when we do use prescribed fire... We won't have stump sprouts to slow down a fire, and the fire is actually going to burn hotter, and that promotes more grasses. So, again, you have more diversity, a lot of grasses. And when you say treat the stump, you're talking about actually using a herbicide. Correct, correct. And um, so as soon as they're cut, we're going to be treating them so no stump sprouts come back. A hotter fire can move through the one to three acres and promote grasses. And so then we're going to have those grasses among treetops, other native forbs grass herbaceous places in those areas and the way they're strategically placed along slopes whether it's a north slope for let's say early season or a south facing slope for um, you know late season late winter. season when we know we're going to have grains close by you know that's that's how we're thinking ahead of this and um, placing these in areas where okay now we know we can get um, in between that food source and those those clear cuts because deer're going to be bedding in them Absolutely. You know how many times have you heard deer are
1: creatures of the edge? I've Mm -hmm. heard it. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times. It's it's very true. true. It's very true. true. So let's use. You know, if you have a fifty acre, a lot of times you see these CRP fields. Oh, that's just a big bedding area. Fifty acres of bedding area. A lot of time in my experience, when I see a huge thirty plus acre bedding area, it still seems like I see a lot of the deer bedding on the edge, Mm -hmm. right in that break between the bedding area. And whatever it is, timber, it timber crop, crop field, field yeah. whatever, brush thicket, that's where they bed. And even if it's a 50-acre bedding area and there's a little island of trees that have started encroaching into the bedding area, it seems like that's where they bed around a lot. So since these are one to three acres, they're just perfect edge bedding areas. Absolutely. And so they could bed in the middle of it, right on the
0: edge. It's just it's just primo bedding areas. I'm, so, I'm going to take it a step further and talk about the rut and how a buck is going to move from one bedding area to check it to another bedding area to check it and another bedding area. And he's going to be working these slopes and most likely using the benches that we can in the slopes that we're able to access with, you know, a tree stand climb up or the, um, the saddles and the, all these ridges. They're going to be crisscrossing these, these areas that we're able to get in and hunt. Um, and, and come November I, I'm just excited to see these yeah. bucks nose down, bouncing yeah. from clear cut to clear cut to clear cut, and we're just set up in the middle with perfect wind. Yeah, yeah. It's when be I awesome. say perfect, I
1: guess I don't mean perfect because we're going to use that wind to their favor. You know, thread exactly. the needle. But it, it will be a lot of fun. Five years from now, when when the deer really start to benefit from this, and we get a couple years, a couple generations of of just living in this habitat, and see what will happen. It's, uh,
0: it's crazy to think about.
1: Oh, it, it, I just can't even put it into words. You're trying to. I'm trying to, but I'm <laughs> rumbling, I see, I can see and the, stumbling.
0: <laughs> I can see the excitement on your face. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, clear cuts. You know, it's a, it's a scary word. It's almost like prescribed fire or native fires. What Smokey did with that has made everybody scared of fire. And clear cuts is almost the same kind of cardinal sin, if you will, if, mm-hmm. by using the the term. But if used properly, they can be dynamite. And so. if you're
0: a deer hunter, you understand that this is the proper way to do it to benefit your hunting and, and the wildlife. So, um, And that's something, you know, do we dare talk about
1: hinge cutting? Or is that just, that's a whole podcast in itself. That's probably a whole likely. podcast in itself. That's, you know, Matt and I, when we're consulting with different landowners, and we always there's a couple things that always come up, and hinge cutting is one of those things. Yep. Everybody... It's kind of that fad right now It's hinge cutting, mm-hmm. and everybody loves to talk about it or do it. And, and everyone's we have, got their own opinion. Absolutely. Honestly. We have our opinion on it, and uh, we'll get there in another podcast. Yeah. But today we're talking about the Prairie Hollow property. So we've talked about food plots and using these clear cuts uh, to create bedding areas as well as its selective cut We've talked about our central road system and exterior road system and how important those are to prime hunting properties. we talked about using the loading decks and converting those to food plots.
0: What else do you want to talk about? You know, one thing that always comes to mind when, when you're talking about laying out a new property, because it's going to draw attraction. You know what I mean? It basically people are going to see neighbors are going to see locals are going to see what's going on. And honestly, for us in this property and the landowner, he wants to see wildlife. He wants to see this property improve. So that's a resource that, honestly, we kind of have to protect a little bit, if you will. Absolutely. I think the, the I,
1: I don't remember what, what client it was of ours, but just a few weeks ago, where they told us you can take an honest farmer and turn him into a hunter if you start showing him some big deer standing food plots. Right, right. And uh, that stuck with me because that is so true. You can find somebody, let's say you've got a, a straight A student and you put them on a gravel road and they start seeing a lot of deer after, and they start seeing deer every evening driving home,
0: it would tempt me. And it's, it'll tempt you weren't a a straight A student though. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Dang it. Don't tell them that. Well, I'm I'm not either. So, well anyway, so,
1: you know, you, you take an honest person and and you start throwing a lot of deer out in front of them and, and it can, and it's tempting. Mm -hmm. It tempts me. Um, you know, I see deer and I think if I see a deer and several nights in a row on a property, I think, okay, who do I have to ask to get permission to hunt that property?
0: Yeah. People just think about, oh man, I'd like to hunt that property. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. But just to err on the safe side, what we're doing and, and, and would prescribe and do prescribe to a lot of our clients are putting in screens and not just a, a year screen. You know, you can plant a lot of stuff, you know, Egyptian wheat. Um, sorghum sedan that that sort of thing switchgrass to screen properties but we're talking about um, in this portion of the world and every every
1: every property is different some some properties call for annual screening you Mm -hmm. plant every year some properties we we prescribe that the first couple of years until the native grasses can get established Um, some places we prescribe planting trees yep and on this property, we're doing something a little bit different. I, I, it's similar to that, but it's a little more going back to the native habitat. Correct. And so by that, there's one pine tree that's native to the Ozarks, especially our area, and that's a shortleaf pine tree. And through the years, there's not there's been a lot of them that I've seen in my life um, in certain areas, but I haven't really seen them expand too much. And I'm really excited to see them come back. Um, there's a few areas on the farm where they were, they're were they young. Now they're starting to grow up, and they've had a few seedlings, and you see a few more pines growing. And, and it's kind of this really cool – Matt, I know you're from Virginia. You've, you've grown up around pines. You yeah, love sure them. Have. I just love – I love seeing them, mm-hmm. and I love seeing pine plantations down
0: south. Is that because you're tired of seeing hickories growing yes, in the Ozarks? Yes, that is. Exactly. <laughs>
1: um, and, I, honestly, a little selfish, pine trees – Provide great back cover. They all they never lose their leaves, so they're yeah. great to hunt out of. Yeah, and so yeah, we're going to use pines as a screen. We've got a little area, a couple acres, that's in between a gravel road and a magical bottom field that is every person's dream. I think to drive by and say, "Oh, wouldn't it be nice to see a big old buck standing out there in that field?" And currently, yeah. that's a Johnson grass field kind of pasture. It's gonna be converted to corn and alfalfa down the road. So it's definitely something we need to keep our eye on. And it's not not selfishly, I guess, to to protect those wildlife, but it's it's just one of those things that we prescribe to everybody because everybody wants to protect something from
0: poachers. Poachers are everywhere, so we're gonna use pines to help fight that. And and we live by the the thought and theory that you know you don't own the wildlife. They're a local part of of you know your region and you're just helping to manage them and maintain them um and and this is this just goes hand in hand with that exactly
1: and and not even just that but we're
0: caretakers to the
1: whole to the land and the wildlife so that's a that's all part of land and legacy and that's what we're we're trying to help people become better caretakers so anyway so we're planting these pine trees we're going to provide screens with the pine trees to where we block off this whole bottom field. Other areas, we're going to use the sorghum, sedan, Egyptian wheat type blends to screen the gravel roads, and that'll all be part of uh, part of the upcoming episodes of Land and Legacy, showing how we're planting those, what we're doing to create those, and showing the I guess the the ongoing fight of property management and screening out poachers.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and these pine trees, you know, they're not going to be three years from now you know, the 10-foot the tall screens that we're looking for. So there's there's yearly screens, annual screens that we're going to have to plant in between, like just off the road, in between the pines and the road um, as those pine trees develop. These are these are long longer-term goals, longer-term, te- let's say, permanent screens um, for that area. And they're not just uh, a single row of pines because, as, as you know, um, as pine grows, it gets a nice, tall, straight stem generally and um so we're double stacking these rows and um staggering them uh for that that permanent long-term screen and um again it's native so we're that that's always kind of part of our agenda if we can learn um about the area and when what should be here and utilize well, was that here before
1: man before yeah well before uh european settlers mm-hmm. so yeah. and that's what shortleaf pine was all around this area and it's been it was logged out and now we're going to start trying to plant a few of them back.
0: Yep. It's kind of
1: twofold operation screening and native. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're talking about the screening, but that's a little bit boring. What, what do we want to move on to next? You know, this is, this is something I'm, I'm excited about it all, but we've talked about the Prairie Hall of Property and what it was before we're doing this or what it's been in, in past years and. And we talked about it being 600 and some acres, 610 acres, I, I believe to be exact, and 400 plus are timber. And then we talked about the bottom field a little bit. A little
0: bit. But this is kind of but, the magic of, oh, of the whole property.
1: This is kind of, you know, it's got two sides to it. It's going to benefit the wildlife, but it's also going to be a great addition for the landowner as far as leasing and finances. Income producing. Yes. And and we're talking about this 70 ish acres of bottom ground that has been fescue in past years just uh, i say fescue that's a very loose term it's it's been in, encroached by some invasives such as cerise lespediza and johnson grass and even a little bit mul- of spotted knapweed Multiflora rose as well Multiflora some rose, some honey locust and and, yeah. and, and we talked about high grading this is one example i'll, I'll give credit to you as um, we talked about high grading in the timber, but right. we start talking about pastures, and a lot of times you you do the same practices with cattle. You start having developing some problems, and I'll let you kind of explain the the thought process and example of cattle and what they kind of the similarities
0: they have with a high grade. We were actually on a farm, and this pasture had been and it was a fescue pasture primarily, but there was some um, broom sedge. That was coming through, and if anyone knows, broom sedge is, is not very palatable to cows. Cows don't eat it, but when we looked closely, all the fescue in and around these broom sedge clumps was eaten down. And what those cows are doing is eating the best. I say that loosely because we're not big fans of fescue, but they're eating the best and leaving the rest. So they're high grading the best fescue, but leaving the broom sedge, and that's that's the worst. And then if you look at that, let's say year one, you first you notice it. Year two and three, that broom sedge is going to, be, going to become more popular, and more popular. And if you're doing the and same by that time, you're probably seeing some eastern red cedars yeah, growing, absolutely, and they're not
1: going to eat those. No, and even some honey locusts or woody species that are encroaching in there, and they're still just they're still walking through and eating. The fringes, the, the, the fescue, or areas. the the native grasses that are mm-hmm. still palatable, or the native forbs, the herbaceous plants—they're eating all those and they're leaving the. A lot of times, the, the the ones I think of are cedar trees, honey locust, sassafras, oak brush, um, even some Johnson grass. Yep, if it's in a
0: later stage.
1: Yes, and so they're leaving all those but eating the palatable stuff. Correct. And so that's the high grade. They're they're eating the best and leaving the rest. That's the example,
0: you just explained. And, and so we've seen that on this bottom ground as it's been primarily fescue pastures. But again, these cows, well, you know, seeds because there's a creek that runs right through there. So mm-hmm. the napweed and um, let's say Ceresa are from up north is flowing through the creek and 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 just being dispersed um, in many different ways. Um, and the cows aren't eating they're not consuming it and it's starting to grow and encroach on some of these pastures so um, our plan to kind of nip that in the bud is to convert from the fescue unproductive fescue and invasives to crops exactly and you know i touched on this in the past but
1: this is the first year you can get crop insurance in in the county that we're at and so that gives you an idea how few crop fields there are in the area. And there's only a few farmers that actually plant crops. Our guy is a, a big crop farmer in the area, and he's going to be converting these pastures, old pastures, into cornfields the first year because that's his ideal crop. He's cutting it for silage for the, for the cows. But then after that, after we do one full year of corn, and we're starting to prep the soil and get ready, he's going to convert them to alfalfa. And as anybody... At least least one. At least one or two of the fields will be converted to alfalfa. And when we talk about that, I think anybody that's ever hunted around alfalfa fields has drooled about the big bucks that are coming in there in August and and September. And, And I know some people in my life that have been very successful killing velvet bucks, and I always wonder how, and it's always because they're hunting them going to an alfalfa field. So... Alfalfa is basically it's a protein that looks. I mean, it's it serves the purposes as, as clover, um, it, just like clover. So it's providing forage, protein, a high quality protein,
0: in a very large area. In a
1: very large area for a lot of months out of the year. Correct. And it's it can be you know, it's providing food, but it's also providing forage for the for the cows, which is providing a lease fee, which is. Then providing finances and and money for the uh, landowner, so it's kind of helping all aspects of it. Absolutely,
0: it's it's a win win for honestly all parties um, who have a hand in the Prairie Hollow property. Exactly. You know, there, there's benefits for everyone, and um, I think we we get the most benefit. Maybe I, <laughs> just because of the, the the draw and attraction there are um, there. I guess there is for the wildlife and. And, you know, we, we talked about the attraction, early season bow hunting here in Missouri for whitetails, but, um, you know, it's, it's it's perfect opportunities for strut zones for turkeys in the spring. Um, just as that alfalfa is starting to really green up, it's very, very tender and turkeys are out in it uh, nonstop. It's, it's dynamite. Absolute dynamite.
1: dynamite. So now, you know, to catch up, we've got the 400 acres of timber, which are going to be selective cut, providing all kinds of forage and cover now. We've got the... 20 to 30 acres of food plots and then we throw in an additional 70 of crop and so we start talking about l- let's catch us up now on on everything about the prairie hollow property and we we've talked about the 400 acres of timber and how it's going to be selectively cut and we're going to provide all kinds of food and we're going to provide all kinds of cover now then we've got the loading decks that are going to be converted to 20 to 30 acres of food plots and then we look at the bottom fields, which is about 70 acres of fescue currently they are going to be converted to crops. And so then we look at providing food in that aspect, and we've, we're we starting to really, I guess the, the example I use is we've got a piece of land that, that's it's almost like a sponge. And, and a lot of times when we just do a little bit of management, we plant one food plot that's an acre and it's 500 acres, we're just barely squeezing the potential out of that sponge. But now we're looking at really providing food cover throughout the entire 600 acres. We're really squeezing that sponge and getting a lot of potential out of that property.
0: Basically no no leaf, no acres is unturned or unmanaged. Exactly. You're trying to get the most bang for your buck and honestly, there's a lot of people out there who we're we're very fortunate to be able to to, you know, manage this piece of property. But let's say if you have 10 acres and you're managing every single let's say square foot of that property in the same manner, your property is going to stand out most likely among the surrounding properties because it's so intensively managed and well thought out that deer are going to be selecting that property. Your highly managed um, landscape habitat food plots—they're going to prefer that over the surrounding area. So exactly. this, is, you know, six hundred acres, large scale, but this same you know idea and principle can be applied to ten acres, a exactly. hundred acres. And just, you know, thinking it through from the start or developing a habitat management plan will get you on the right start to managing every acre and leaving nothing basically unturned or unmanaged. Exactly.
1: And and I think that's kind of one thing we want people to really do is instead of this whole – instead of managing – I say that with air quotes – managing your property – that's let's just use 200 acres or 100 acres and it's five acres of food plots and you leave the rest, the other 95 acres, unmanaged, you're really not managing that property. Right. You're not helping it reach its potential. And a lot of times that's where here in the Ozarks or wherever you're at, if if a majority of your property is timber, that's usually where we – That's, that's the where you first start. Step. It's right. like, okay – the first step most of the property is timber so that's our first step mm-hmm. let's start converting that food plots in that in that ratio is such a small part of the property's
0: whole ecosystem that you need to look elsewhere you need to Correct. do more you can you can do more impact more by addressing the timber issue the larger percentage of the property than you can by, you know, putting in five acres of food plots. And just imagine, sit back for a second and say, okay, say if you've done those those five acres of food plots and you are only managing 5% of the property and you've seen, let's say, four times as many deer, your hunting has increased by, you know, fourfold over the last two seasons. Just because of the food just plots. Just because of the food plots. Imagine now what you can do by addressing the rest of that property. Bingo. And that's where...
1: I think helping people understand that is is our one of our biggest missions with Lane Legacy is trying to get people out of the out of just thinking that they have to do one thing. It's
0: it's a whole it's lifelong. It's Absolutely. there's always
1: something to do. Yep.
0: Always something to manage, always something to improve, manipulate and just because, you know, we've got these great ideas and we're going to do them all. But that doesn't stop there. We're going to take and, and we're going to tweak this here the next year because this, you know, we saw this pattern develop. We're going to tweak it over here the next year. It's fine tuning after this large, um, you know, plan is implemented. There's always something to do. It's always something to do. It never stops. But that's it's, okay. If you hear a lot of old farmers, a lot
1: of old timers, they always say when they're farming, it the work never stops. And it's the same with habitat management and and conservation is. We could be talking about, and this is a whole another podcast. But we could be laying all this out, doing all this work, and for example, bush honeysuckle starts encroaching in the property, right? You we're open up, you open up that, that canopy, and bush honeysuckle that, comes. in. Yeah, out. and now we're fighting that for till we get it under control. It just yep. it never stops. So we're, we we do all that, and something else grows up. And another invasive comes in, and we're just constantly fighting something, trying to try and improve the habitat. It just, it just never it's stops. A, it's a
0: love hate relationship.
1: It is. Uh, it's a lot. It's like ninety eight percent love and two percent hate, <laughs> depending on the day. Uh, but it's, it's, it just never stops. But yeah. that's the best
0: part about it. And one thing I want, I want to touch on before we, before we wrap up here is that everything we've really talked about in the the management of this Prairie Hollow Farm is is honestly income producing or we're, we're supplying the income to implement these plans from the property itself. So basically, if, if you come into this plan, let's let's say this is your property and Land Legacy wrote this plan for you and you don't have any money and you have timber value, this plan would pay for itself from the timber. Exactly. That's the best part about this whole thing. These government programs... Are are paid, you know, through obviously the government, but you're putting yourself um, through these programs, and 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 you're getting the benefit from them. You're getting cost share from the government, and yes. you're getting money from the timber harvest, and you're getting money from the crop. I'm not sure
1: I touched on this, but the food plot can you can do government program, and we are doing government program, but it's almost just like the clear cut minus de stumping. Correct. You have to create a food plot through this government program, you have to de stump, which costs. In equipment time. And it add, in our area, it adds up to about 500 an acre. Which is what you get for it. Which is what I get from the government program. Mm-hmm. But that's only for up to three acres in every 40-acre unit. We obviously want to create more than just those three food plots. So we're going to use the money from the clear cuts, which we're basically creating great bedding areas. And we're going to put that into more food plots. Yeah. And so... We've almost completely paid for all the food plots just by using government programs, it's, and then one thing feeds money, another. One thing feeds another, and and at the end of the day, it all feeds the wildlife. Yeah. So it's yeah. just it's it's something, and and something.
0: it's basically nothing. Just it's not like you have to reach into your bank account and be like, okay, I've got this much to a lot. You know, it's oh, I can put I can enroll myself or the property in this this program, and it's paid for. Exactly. Or I can cut some timber, and it's paid for. Yes. And that's timber. Is improving the habitat for the wildlife and, and by gaining opening more up acres. that canopy,
1: those that timber is is growing faster now. Oh yeah, and so you're it's growing fat. You've opened up the canopy; it's growing faster. You're that many more years closer to another harvest, yep. which is another big payday. Bingo. So, okay. well, you know, I think that you know we talked in the early part of this pod, podcast about how we didn't know if we'd make it through, but I think truth be told, we knew we weren't going to make it through because. We started talking about one thing, and that led into more and more and more, and, and it's just something we're very excited and very passionate about. Yeah. Uh, because we hope that this Prairie Hall of Property can be almost a, a visual and a learning experience for everyone, for us. But
0: we get to share it with everyone. Yes,
1: and and hopefully they can take our success stories from this, or or failure too. Failure we're we're going to mess right. up. Yeah. You more than me. Right they can take that and implement it on their property and improve the habitat and overall hunting experience and and have more deer and and have more wildlife. And so it's just a a very exciting time for us on Land and Legacy. And uh, I think that wraps up this part, part one of the podcast of the Prairie Hollow Property Rundown. And uh, we'll be back soon with part two and be sharing more examples and more practices we're going to be implementing. And hopefully you guys will join us.
0: Matt, you got anything you want to sign off on? One last thing, we're going to have a, a picture of our map that we've created, our development plan for the property. Um, it's going to be posted on our Facebook page and our Instagram page. Go to those pages, Land Legacy, and follow along with the podcast here, and you'll be able to visualize more of what we're talking about, these clear cuts, these food plots, and the crop fields, how they all work together in one, and um, it just give you a better visual of the property. That's all I got. Yeah, perfect. All right, we'll see him next time. Part two, here we come. <laughs>